0: Would you pray with me as we begin tonight? Father, we are so grateful for your word and how it affects our lives. And we pray tonight as you speak to us through it, that, Lord, we'd be receptive. We'd pick up these six things that we can glean tonight, lay hold of them for ourselves, because they truly will make us more like you, and they will help us to also at the same time Uh, Be more caring towards others. And so, God, we pray to that end tonight. And we ask that you would be with Pastor Steph and Peg and the whole team that's there in El Salvador. Would you bless them, Lord, as they're blessing all those kids? Or what a glorious sight uh, that video was today. And Pastor Pat and the team in Peru as well. Keep them safe. Keep them dry, Lord, as it's been a little wet there. Uh, We are grateful that we get to go out into all of the world and make disciples. And, Lord, we pray... Uh, that that would be happening in both countries tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 here in Romans 15, as we begin to wind up, we've got two more chapters, and just in case you're wondering, we are going to continue right on through the Word, and we'll be tackling both letters to the church at Corinth next. And it begins in verse 1, we then who were strong, and remember the, the context here, is what he'd already said about our use of liberties. Those of us who are strong in the Lord have been given liberties by the Lord, but we who are strong, those who are mature believers, are those who are in view here. We who are strong, uh, that should be a majority of us. If you walk with the Lord for a a lengthy period of time, if you've studied the Bible, uh, if you've been attending church, if you know the Lord personally in a deep way then you are in this group of those who are strong. And it states it in a way that it's, it's making a demand on someone who should know exactly why that is. And that's because we're children of grace. That's because God has worked in our lives because we are the ones who should be strong because the Lord has made us so. Not that we're necessarily physically beefy. It's not like we've all been to the gym and worked out. It it isn't that you go and buy all kinds of supplements and you take those or you're perfectly healthy. It has nothing to do with your physical strength. It has everything to do with your spiritual strength. So we who are strong can include people who are physically weak. It can include people who are even physically diminished in capability. But it is all of us who should be strong because we're strong in the power of his might. Just exactly as scripture declares. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of those who are weak. And notice this and not please ourselves. And so what's in view here is our use of liberties, the way we use our lives, the way we use our time, our talent, and our treasure, the way we use the things that God has given us, including our own bodies, our own minds, our, our own abilities, all of those things, whether they are implicitly things that we're supposed to use, like we're supposed to use the Word of God, we're supposed to use prayer, those things are, for a child of God, essentials. They're, ne- they're necessary But we're also supposed to use those things which maybe we could use for some other purpose. Not to please ourselves. We're supposed to use our liberties, those things which we could do, but maybe we shouldn't because it might affect someone else's life. And so let each of us, it goes on in verse 2, please his neighbor. For this is good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself. And so there's the direct example between we who are the children of God and the example, the one who made it possible, the one who stands uh, as the prime example for all of us, the Lord Jesus himself, he did not please himself. We know that, amen? Did he not go to the cross? He didn't please himself in doing so. that was not an event. He says, you know, I just can't wait to go to the cross. No, he actually asked to not go to the cross if it's possible. Of course, it wasn't. But he didn't please himself. He was looking out after me. He was looking out after you. He is the prime example of one who counted others first. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's a Messianic psalm. That's Psalm 69. The quote there is the the picture of what Messiah would do. The reproach that fell on Jesus was not reproach that was due him. That reproach was due you and me. I should have been the one who suffered the scorn. I should have been the one who suffered the shame. I, I should have been the one who took the beating. In fact, I should have been the one who died on Calvary's cross. I should have had to die for my own sins. I committed them. I'm the one responsible for them. But in this incredible picture of how one gets over oneself, Jesus, as the example, said the reproach that should have belonged to Jeff Gill was laid on Jesus. And he didn't complain about it. He didn't whine about it. He didn't grumble about it. He, he, he did not call me up on the phone and say, I hope you realize exactly how much I'm suffering for you right now. The Lord Jesus did that willingly. He went to the cross as a sign of the depth of the love that he has for each of us, for all of mankind, truly, that he would not think of his own self but solely and completely think of you and me. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about thinking of others more than you think of yourself, but that is at times difficult, isn't it? We get little glimpses of it in our lives. You who are parents, you know exactly how this works because you think of your children first. You look at your kids, I'll go without But I want to make sure they're taken care of. That's a minor picture of the mindset. Now blow that out to its greatest extent. For whatever things were written before, were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now remember, almost without exception, whenever you see the word Scriptures, even in the New Testament... They are primarily reflecting back on the Old Testament. Nobody had a New Testament in their hands when these words were written. Matter of fact, most of these letters wouldn't even begin to circulate until well after the events and well after the time in which these things were beginning to be spoken of by the Apostle himself. And so they were looking back, hence the quote from the 69th Psalm. So when they're talking about scriptures, they're talking about the Old Testament scriptures, which are filled with truth for our edification. And yet so very often we think of the Old Testament as this, this drudgery, this dreariness, you know, this this book that you read when you want to go to sleep at night because it just like drives you to the point of exhaustion through the mundane and You know, genealogies and this war and that war and these people and everybody's an ite of some kind. But it's not true. The Old Testament is alive with the grace of God. And we're going to see that, especially as we now are digging into chapter 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 Uh, In the book of Genesis, this incredible picture, there's so much symbolism of the wonderful work of Messiah found in the book of Genesis. But how many people look at the Scriptures as if they were written for someone else? They're for you, they're for me, they're for us. That was what the Apostle Paul had in view here. And now may the God of patience, and that's not a specific God, by the way, I actually had a Bible college student tell me, well, there's a God of patience. No, it's the same one. And you're supposed to have that too. Us guys, we need an extra dose of that. But may the God of patience, it's just one of the many names for Jesus. It's one of the many names for Father God. It's who he is. It's an inextricable piece of his character and his nature. God is the God of patience. And if you want an example of that, look in the mirror in the morning. Amen. Is He the God of patience? Oh, it's you again. God gets a headache every time I get up. He's the God of, of course. He's the God of patience and comfort. Grant you to be like-minded towards one another. You realize what that's saying? You're supposed to be comforting and patient. And you're supposed to deal with people in like mindedness. That like mindedness means you think of them at least the same way that you think of yourself. So when I think about myself, I kind of like me. I generally try and do things that make me happy and please me. You know, I don't wake up in the morning, I'm just going to make myself miserable. I would imagine you don't either, do you? You're pretty much thinking about yourself. You know, it's like I'm gonna, when you go to breakfast, you, I'm going to go someplace where I'm going to get sick. <laughs> you don't think about that. You're, you're thinking about where you want to go and what it'll taste like. That's the picture. Like-mindedness with Christ is thinking about someone else and how they would perceive and feel and think and act It's literally to be so other-centered that the other person becomes your primary goal and objective in the morning and in the afternoon. And during your day and all through the evening hours, you're actually thinking about other people in such a way that they become your primary source uh, of thinking. All of a sudden, you're just thinking about other people. It's crazy when you think about it. one another according to christ jesus because that's what he did amen you you see the cross here as you look at these words and imagine what's being thought of because it's christ jesus messiah who is yahushua our god who is salvation the only way you have salvation is because jesus went to the cross the cross was brutality the cross was putting off his own self The cross was him absorbing blow after blow after blow for you and for me. The the cross was being falsely accused. The the cross was Jesus taking upon him the weight of the sin of the world. Do you understand? So when you think of being like-minded with Christ, it is to be so others-focused as to absorb the blows of pain that they would take. It is to look at their lives and say, what can I possibly do to enrich them? It is to be so caring about others' welfare and their well being that you will put yourself last in order that they might be first. Anybody in here struggle with doing that? I do. Tell you straight, that's hard, isn't it? And yet, that's what we're supposed to do. Can you imagine the world that would be filled with people who actually live that life? Can you imagine? So other centered that people on this earth actually understood that we are here for them. It's going to change a lot of things, isn't it? It's going to transform the way that we function, really, as a society that you may be one mind and one mouth and glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this incredible picture of what it means to really begin to get over yourself. And, And I want to be really careful here because when we think about these things, some people begin to go, well, we're all supposed to be little Jesus clones. In other words, uniformity. Uniformity is you stamp something out of a die. Uh, I was watching a program, uh, you, you know, I like the Science Channel, and I'm, I'm watching them make biscuits of all things. And it's just like, they, this company that was making these biscuits in England, they're like these butter cookie things. They looked really good, by the way. But they actually laser them to make sure they're exactly the same. There's a little stamp on the top so you can tell that they came from this specific factory and so that when you have your tea and your crumpets, that that when you pick one of these things up, it's like, wow, this is the real deal. You see, that's actually uniformity. That's everything. looks the same, smells the same, and tastes the same. That's not the entirety of what's being said here. This brings into view the flexibility that we have to actually be us, you be you, me be me, each of us be our own selves, and still be like Jesus. So it's actually unity of purpose. It's unity of mind. It's unity of heart but it leaves fully intact everyone's individuality. It's mind-boggling. What a plan. That means you don't have to be like me, and I don't have to be like you, but we both are supposed to be like Jesus. That's how you get over yourself. You see, you don't try and become me. I don't try and become you. We do not try and swap places. We both try and be like Jesus. That's what produces this. You see, when I start becoming like-minded with Christ, then the things that I do start to look like Him. The way that I exist in my life is a lot like the way Jesus would do things, except He uses me to do it. He uses my crazy way, my mannerisms. He uses my life experience and knowledge. He uses my brain. He uses my body. He uses my family. He can even, I know this is hard, but he can use my driving. He can use anything. He can use you on vacation. He can use you in the workplace. He wants you to be like him wherever you are. So in order to get over you, you don't have to become like me, you just need to become like Jesus wherever you are. And be a whole lot like Jesus wherever that is. And so anybody can do it, and you can do it anytime and in any place. It's very simple. And yet people make so much out of this, and they start talking about spiritual characteristics and you know, theological principles. No, it's a whole lot simpler than that. It's you taking a life of grace and being a person of grace in every place that you grace. It's kind of like we all become the Waltons. You know, we live on Walton Mountain with Jesus every tribe and tongue and nation and we're just hanging out together and you know the bell clangs and we all come get dinner you know it's just it's supposed to be like that but we're not all male we're not all female we're not all tall we're not all short we're not all one type of you know life we can just be a big family but we're a family that has a single head and that head it's not Grandpa Walton, it's Jesus. Such a beautiful picture of how our lives, if they were lived like that, would be incredible. I don't know about you, but there's times when I, you know, I turn, I'm watching the news, and I'm like, you know, Lord, I'm kind of thinking moving to Montana is pretty good right now. Because <laughs> this is not going really well right here. You know, you, you kind of long for that simplistic Uh, you know i i've always told people i was i should have been born in the 1800s you know i would go out and farm and do whatever it's just but that's not gonna fix it you see i can be like jesus today if the church would simply rise to the occasion of being like jesus we'd see the fruit of it perfect it that's why David proclaimed there in 133rd Psalm in verse 1 Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together. You see, what we do is we look at we look at our life much like we, we experience in our families today. Our families are broken. Our family, we kind of sometimes we're like, we're gonna get together for dinner. Well, that's gonna be fun. It's not supposed to be like that. It's supposed to be good, it's supposed to be pleasant when the family of God dwells together in unity. We get together, we just are what we're supposed to be. Jeremiah said much the same thing, talking about the children of Israel there in Jeremiah 32. They shall be my people and I will be their God and I'll give them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. It's just being like Jesus. It's waking up in the morning and go, Lord, let me be a whole lot like you today. I realize this is a little bit of a long introduction. But it's what we need to do. It's not going to happen naturally. Naturally, you're going to wake up and go, I want to please me. Naturally, you're going to try and please people who can do something for you. You don't have to say amen, but that is exactly what we do. Well, be nice to people who are nice to me, which is exactly what Jesus said we shouldn't do. Not that you shouldn't be nice to people who are nice to you. That happens naturally, because the natural man gravitates towards people who are nice to you. But the spiritual man, the spiritual woman, gravitates towards people who do not like you and seeks to be so much like Jesus that you draw them in. That is a crazy lifestyle right there. That'll send you to places that you wouldn't even think about going without that being like Jesus in view. I want to give you six keys, and I think we can do them pretty quickly here, to getting over yourself. The first one's found there in verse 1. And it's just simply start by caring for other people, being other-centered, to to get over the love of self. And it says, we who are strong, it uses a Greek word there for ought, it's not the same as you might think. It's such a strong obligation, it it is absolutely believed to nearly be impossible to not do it. You ought, as in you wake up in the morning, man, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. And what is that? It's to bear with those who are without strength. And that word bear is not like... It's to grab a load that is not yours. And no matter how heavy it is, and no matter what it costs you, it is the same word that's used when you pick a wounded soldier off the battlefield... It's to grab someone who's dying and carry them. So we're to take the weak person who doesn't know what to do with their life and pick them up and carry them. Can I tell you, you can't do that while you're exercising every liberty that's known to you? You can't do that while you're trying to please yourself. You have to, in that moment, look at that person and their life experience and what's going on with them, and you have to say, they are so important, I am dropping the pleasure of self, and I'm going to pick them up, and if necessary, I will carry them as far as they need to go. Do you understand? That is being so other-centered, you're willing to do anything necessary to carry them if necessary now you may not have to carry them but you may have to really help them and again you who are parents you know this amen you know what it's like to carry your children and you who have little ones you know when they're small it's like you do everything for them you don't wake up in the middle of the night well just fend for yourself Now, I am sick to death. I am, no, I'm not feeding you. If you die, so what? You see how crazy that sounds? I'm saying that, and you're going like, man, we need to turn him in. No, it's not, it's so unnatural for a parent to not care for their child. What do you do? You pick the child up, and you bear them to where they can be fed. That's being so other-centered that you'll go without sleep. You'll go without food yourself. Connie, I, our first son, Brandon, I don't think she ate a hot meal for three years. You ladies know what I'm saying. You're in there, you're preparing, everybody else gets to eat, you're over there, you're starting to look like Skeletor. It's not a great diet. Why? Why? Because you are so fixated on the well-being of that child that you will do and do do anything and everything to make sure they are first. Including not sleeping. Including not eating. Including blowing all your budget on anything that they need. You see, the first way is to start by caring for others and looking past yourself. Paul was talking about that attitude. In 1 Corinthians 9, when we go through that book, it it begins there in, in chapter 9 and verse 19, though I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. He's saying, look, if it takes me appearing to be someone else's servant so that I can win them to Jesus, then that's exactly what I'll do. It's about relinquishing what we could entitle ourselves to and saying, for the sake of the other person, I'll give it up. Now a second thing, which is virtually the opposite, you find it in the second half of verse 1 and all of verse 2, it's really the same picture, but from the opposite perspective, you have to develop an actual disregard for yourself. It's not just caring about them, you have to not care about you. You look at your own life and you don't count it dear. You look at your own possessions and say, if it will help you, they're yours. You look at your own life in such a way that it's dispensable, but someone else's is not dispensable. It is literally getting over ourselves. You see, we can have a regard for others, but if we keep such a deep regard for ourselves, sometimes the deep regard for ourselves gets in the way of the helping others. I've watched people who have tremendous gifts in the Lord not utilize them because they are so busy fulfilling their own hopes and dreams and aspirations. It's not that they're unkind, it's not that they're unloving. They don't have time to serve the Lord, they're doing anything and everything they can to please themselves. So you have to have a disregard for self. Now, while saying this, those of you who are legalists who are going to run to the other extreme, I'm not saying if you ever take a vacation, you're going to hell. Uh, I'm not saying if you buy a new car that you're going to perish and burn eternally. Uh, I'm not saying if your house is nice and someone else's isn't that you you are a blasphemer. Uh, I'm not saying anything of the kind. I'm not saying if you have a wonderfully fat bank account, that you are just not listening to God. I am saying none of those things. I'm simply saying that the regard for self, the way you handle those things, which are a blessing from the Lord, can get in the way of you being other-centered. Because you're worried about them all the time. And I think we all have things in our lives that are like that. I'll tell you straight up, heart, heart attack time. I start thinking about trout fishing. It's all over. My mind is gone. I'm like I can picture the individual holes I can see I'm tying on. I can see the fish and I know there's a big old fat brown trout in there and it's just like and before you know it, it's like I'm I'm checked out. I'm, I'm well I'm checked out now. But you have things like that in your life, right? Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's cooking. Maybe it's your, your you know, I, I can tell you one thing. that seems like it's really good, but people get trapped in this all the time. It's health crazes. It's like, oh, I'm going to the gym. Been to the gym 17 times today. <laughs> they still look like they need to go more, but they've been 17 times. We're we're busy, you know, we're keeping in shape and I'm really in shape and then have a heart attack. Ah, They're so busy taking care of them, they're not dying to self so that they can serve others. They're actually serving themselves and that good serving the self actually gets in the way. You have to have a disregard a third way. You have to have a plan. And that plan for most of us is really simple. It's total conformity to being like Jesus. You can see it there in the third verse. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written in the Old Testament, Psalm 69, the reproaches of those who reproached him fell on me. He's saying, God, what was intended for you, I picked it up. What was intended for Jeff, I picked it up. And so he conformed to Father God's will. See, I have to be so concerned about what God wants for my life that I no longer really concern myself with what I think I want for my life. And some of you are going, I, well, I got these plans. and There's nothing wrong with your plans. Don't take this out and you know get whack over it. It's okay to have plans. It's okay to own a vacation. Home. it's okay if you've got an RV or you've got, you know you like to go shooting or whatever you like to do. It's not talking not that at all. It's to be so conformed to Christ that when you go RVing, you're still a representation of Jesus looking to bless other people. It's when you cook that meal, you invite people over to enjoy it. It's when you see those funds come into your bank, you don't know where they came from. You look for some way to bless somebody else with them instead of bless yourself first. Because that's what Jesus would do. It's what he did do. He gave his life a ransom, a payment for someone else who had a debt so that they might come and have a right standing with God. It's being totally conformed into the image of Jesus. One of the most beautiful passages that we have in the Bible uh, with this in view is there in Philippians chapter 2. If you want to turn there. Verse 6, it says this. For although he existed in the form of God, or in the form God. In other words, although Jesus was fully, completely, totally God. God. If you could make a model, a perfect model of God in every way, shape, or form, even though Jesus was fully in form God, he did not regard that equality with God to be a thing to be grasped. He he didn't look at that and say, man, I need to hang on to this. I don't want to give any of this up. Because see, the heart of Jesus is the heart of a servant. Paul goes on, but he emptied himself. He took everything that he had. He put the glories of heaven off. That's why when Jesus comes a second time, you want to be coming with him. You don't want to be here when he comes back. Because he's coming in glory. He's coming in his regal splendor. He's coming as the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. He's coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is coming in the fullness of his majesty and regal glory. He did not do that the first time. He was a baby born in a manger. His parents lugged him from southern Judea all the way back to the middle of the Sea of Galilee and the mountains to Nazareth. And he lived his life in this Hick region of Galilee ministering to primarily fishermen and people who had no means couldn't give him a thing he probably got meals shared with him and that was it he got no salary from the guys he put off the glories of heaven to come and live here we don't even have any way to understand that Because the glory of God in heaven is so majestic that if we were to see it, it would kill us. But I can tell you this He put off what is the most awesome imaginable experience and life and blessings to come be a baby in a manger here and have his diapers changed. That is nuts. That's crazy. You see, I want to be like that. That's how I get over myself. I say, I'm going to leave what I have. I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to be like God. How do we know what God was thinking? Because the Gospel of John tells us, for God so loved the world that He gave us Jesus. He gave us His only begotten Son, And then imagine what happened to that son. He came to this wretched earth. Immediately, Herod starts a plot to have him killed. Once that's not successful, he spends his time in a carpenter shop until he's 12. He goes to Jerusalem. His parents forgot he was there and went back to Nazareth. They get halfway home. We lost Jesus. They go back and get him. His own family did not believe he was Messiah. You know why I'm making this case? Because he still went to the cross. He still went to the cross. You go, well, this is just enough. Enough. I am sick. My own parents left me in Jerusalem. You know how we would be, right? We'd be seeing psychiatrists and psychologists and we'd have, you know, parent anger issues and, man, we'd be in a support club for abandoned kids and and if you're in those things, forgive me. I'm not trying to mock. I'm just simply saying that's what would happen, amen? Isn't that what would happen? Oh, somebody somebody get a hold of you man. You really need to go get that squared away. <laughs> Jesus did it willingly, family. Jesus did it willingly. He left the glories of heaven to be abandoned and forsaken and beat and nailed to a cross and die. You see, you want to see how to get over yourself. Think of fully being like that. Like Jesus. Total conformity to Christ. A fourth thing. You can find it there in verse 4. Complete, full submission to the authority of Scripture. Why is that? We've already studied it. We've looked at it. Jesus is actually going to confront the Pharisees, and he he will say to them, for you studied the Scriptures, again, would have been the Old Testament, for you think that in them you have life, but they speak of me. So the reason that we can look at the Scriptures as a way to get over ourselves is because they all point to Jesus. Jesus. The book of Genesis really is the story of Jesus told in the lives of the patriarchs. It's a picture of the coming Messiah that's given to us in little vignettes like Abraham and Isaac. And the tree that's tossed into the bitter waters of Mara. And the provision of the bread from heaven that we just looked at that they went out and picked up every day for free. It's called grace. You understand you see so when we read the bible we're learning what it is to be like jesus so to get over yourself you want to get more of the word of god you want to bathe yourself in it the knowledge of all scripture has that spiritual benefit to us you know, sometimes we look at the Bible almost like, well, there's certain passages I need to know so I can be saved. You know, forever we've used the phrase fire insurance. It's like, okay, well, I've got my fire insurance. I'm not going to go to hell now. And that is the total extent of some people's walk with the Lord. I'm not going to hell. Oh, Lord, let that not be said of us. You see, if I want to get over myself, when I read the Bible reinforce time and time and time and time and time and time again is that my concern is everyone else My concern is for my bride. My concern is for my children. My concern is for you. My concern is for anything and everything ahead of myself. It does not deny the fact that I have specific things that God wants to do in my life. It just simply says, if I'm going to be like Jesus, what I'm going to find in Scripture is that every bit of it tells me about Him. You know, people always say, well, you know, can you you point me to where it talks about material prosperity, and I just snicker. It doesn't. Matter of fact, exactly the opposite is promised to the body of Christ. In this world, you will have tribulation. But Jesus said, do not fear, for I've overcome it, because this world's not your home. You are not of this world. You're going to find that out from the book of Genesis, by the way. You're going to find that out from the book of Exodus, by the way you're going to realize that while you're here on this earth, you are dwelling in a tabernacle, a tent. The Apostle Paul will echo that in the second letter to the church at Corinth. These earthly tents, in which we, by the way, travail, are perishing. But one day, you're going to have a building not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And Why am I saying this? Because the Old Testament gave that picture. It was the tabernacle in the wilderness. What dwelled in the tabernacle in the wilderness with the, the children of Israel? But the presence of God. Where is God now in you? Inside of your tabernacle. Inside of you dwells the living God by the Holy Spirit. That's all from the Old Testament. It's just verified in the New How glorious is the Word of God as it it instructs us in righteousness and encourages us. For all Scripture, no prophecy, Peter would say. For all Scripture, inspired by God, profitable for teaching, is that passage in Timothy. You see, all of it, every bit of it, and what they had in view, yes, it would become the the truths of the New Testament, but it's really saying, look, every bit of it, if you want to get over you, read the Bible because you're going to figure out you're not the one it talks about. Somebody asked me, "Where's, you know, where's the verses on self-esteem?" <laughs> there aren't any. Matter the only one that I know is your life is but a vapor. That's kind of like steam. <laughs> right? It's here for a bit of time and then gone. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And then finally, too, to wrap it up. Man, as we walk the walk, as we try and get over ourselves, no greater truth is we have to depend on the Lord and His power. You can't do it in your own strength. None of these things are even possible without the Holy Spirit, without prayer without you really seeking the Lord in all of these things and you kind of see a little contrast between what comes to you by the word and what comes to you by the prayer which is really seeking the work of the Holy Spirit you see as you pray you're actually asking God to do in your life what you can't because I can do some stuff you know I can think and reason and do all that I can read through scriptures and I'll gain some knowledge But if you really want to have divine power, you actually have to take it a step further and it goes from your head to your heart to your hands. All of a sudden the stuff that you took into your mind reaches that heart level and now God empowers it by this Holy Spirit for it to actually do something, that dunamis power. The power of God that not just leads unto salvation, but the power of God that leads unto good works and fruitfulness. You see, the way to get over yourself is to have so much of Him you never run out. You see, if I just try and give out what I am and who I am, I'm going to run out of that power really fast. We talk sometimes in our pastoral classes, ministry things, that you know, we, there, there's this thing we call ministry burnout. Ministry burnout is chiefly a lack of faith on my part, and I'm doing stuff that God hasn't asked me to do. Because if I'm in the will of God, by the power of God, I am unstoppable. But when I get in the flesh, and I start doing things my way, man, I hit the wall like so fast. All of a sudden, I'm looking, it's like, oh man, I can't do this. This is terrible. Every person that comes is like, oh, there's a problem. That's because I'm relying on me. I'm looking at my own resources. I'm going to Oh, I don't have enough for this guy or this woman. I can't do that, Lord. And he always reminds me, you're right, Jeff, you can't. But I can. So why don't you let me work through you by my power instead of you trying to do what I'm telling you to do in your own power? You see, I have to have total dependence on God. And by the way, that's not just what you do for him. It's who you are in Him. That matters to God. And it really ties into the sixth thing, because He wants to get the glory for it. God is unwilling to share His glory with anybody. You may not know this, but He's not looking to share. Have you ever seen, you know, like we're getting close to the Olympics, and we've had a few of those contests where someone thought they should win the medal? and they're like standing right off the side of the platform. It's like, I can't believe that, you know, they lost by two one hundred billionths of a second or something, you know. It's like, can I tell you, I like curling. I know. I am fascinated by curling. I have no idea why, but those 22 and a half pound stones that they slide across the ice with the little broom thing mesmerizes me. Don't hold it against me. Some of you are mocking me right now in your mind. But I was watching this team from Canada, and they're like, and I'm like, that's just really, what are you doing? And, and she's actually making this, this, this curling stone go sideways. And then I realized that while they were doing that, they could actually manipulate this thing to turn a different direction because there'd be ice on one side and water on the other. And all of a sudden, I realized what they were doing. In order to get the stone where it needs to go, God's got to work. And in the end, the only person that gets the glory is the one who did the direction and the work. And that's God. Because if you'd have left that stone going the way the guy threw it, they'd lose. But here comes the Holy Spirit working in the life of a believer, moving, getting the ice a little slicker and then a little less, and all of a sudden this... Stupid thing goes inside, and I couldn't even believe what happened. God loves curling, okay? So don't mock my curling analogies. If I come with curling stories, just bear with it. I'm weird. But you see, you give glory to God in that. It would not have happened had not the Lord Himself manipulated the situation by his power and his majesty and his glory so he should get the glory for it. We need to give God glory for everything because without him, not much happens. So when you think of these things, they're very simple. It won't take you long to figure out. Just six of them. Start by caring for other people first. And then add to that a disregard for yourself. Think of yourself last and least. Make sure you're conforming yourself into Christ's image, not the world. Make sure that you have a hunger for the Word of God. And I mean a hunger, I mean, it's food to you. Your desire is so great for the Word that you can't take, you're not going to make it through the day. It's the ultimate protein shake for your soul. That you're resting and trusting in His power. And then ultimately, what that means is you so are willing to get over yourself that all that's left that anybody sees is the glory of God. Amen? Would you stand and let's pray together? I'm going to have a few of the pastors come forward just in case. You need to pray with somebody about self. Maybe you've got something going on. You just want to leave that weight here and and go out the doors free. Because that's what the Lord wants. He doesn't want you to be fretting over you. He wants you to be free in him. So if you need prayers, pastors come forward, just come on up. We're going to end in worship and dismiss. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that it really is this simple. Lord, we do need to get over ourselves. God, I I confess uh, my own struggles at times with getting in the way of your glory in my own life. And Lord, I pray that you'd forgive me. When when that glory doesn't quite shine past me. Lord, I, I block it so people can't see it. God help me to never do that. Pray that you take each of us, Lord, as we live out our lives on this earth, that we would care for others, that we wouldn't care too much for ourselves, that we would Lord agonize over making sure that you're first, that we're conformed into your image, that your word is powerful and working through us. God, that as we think on, on what power we're walking in and, and working through, God, it's yours, and that ultimately you'd receive the glory from it. We love you, Lord. We're so grateful that you would use us, and you've left us here that we might make disciples. And so, Lord, mm-hmm. help us to do that. Lord, help us to, to walk Uh, in a way that people see you, Jesus. We ask these things in your wonderful name, the name that's above every name, the name Jesus. Amen.